The scripture reading for this morning comes from Genesis 1, 26 through 31. Hear the word of the Lord. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Um, Earlier this morning, Carl threatened to read a random piece of scripture and make me come up with a sermon on the spot. So, Carl, (laughs) thanks for reading the right passage this morning. It's going to go a lot better now. Uh, My name is Mike. I'm a pastor on staff here at Christ Community's downtown campus. It's great to see you all here this morning. We are one of five campuses in the Christ Community family that's meeting all across the metro this morning to continue in our series that we started last week called Neighborly Love. Now, if you missed last week, I want to really encourage you. We keep all of our sermons online. In fact, in your note sheet, you'll find a website address that that will get you to our sermons. I'd really encourage you to go listen to last week's message because it it is foundational to uh, what we're talking about in this series. But um, to take away all incentive to do that, let me give you a quick overview of what we talked about last week. Last week, we looked at the parable of the Good Samaritan, a story a lot of us are familiar with in Luke 10. And we saw that in order to love our neighbor... What we need is not just compassion. We need to not just feel compassion for our neighbor, but we need to build capacity so that we can do something with that compassion. In our finances, in our schedules, in in whatever way we can, we need to build capacity so that when we feel compassion for others and have an opportunity to love our neighbor, we actually have the ability to do it. And so this week we're going to dive a little bit deeper into this whole business of building capacity. And to do it, we're going to flip all the way back to the beginning of Scripture in Genesis 1 and uh, see that capacity building is actually built into the design of creation. But to help us to get started thinking about this, I want to tell you all about four years of my life that I wasted. I wasted four years of my life working as a barista at a very large coffee company that I won't name because this sermon will go on the Internet and you never know if I'm going to need a job from them again. Um, Four years of my life... I spent waking up at 4, getting to work at 4.30 in the morning. Coffee grounds everywhere. Customers always mad because their coffee isn't fast enough, hot enough, foamy enough, sweet enough. You name it. Customers were mad about it. And let me give you one example of of an interaction I had with a customer that just perfectly epitomizes this job. Uh, I had, this is a true story. I had a customer one time, about two years in, 
hold me personally responsible, a barista, the lowest level employee, making minimum wage at a multinational corporation, right? Hold me personally responsible that our corporation did not provide free Wi-Fi for its customers. He looked me in the eye and asked me seriously why I hadn't purchased the store as a franchise so that I could set the standards for Wi-Fi accessibility to the customers. Now, he didn't leave wearing his coffee, but in my mind he did. That's kind of how I got through all this, right? Four years of, of customers yelling and, and, and coworkers in their drama, managers under immense pressure from their bosses, taking it out on their employees, four years wasted. But let me clarify. Those four years of my life were not wasted because I'm somehow above being a barista. I was not too smart or educated or experienced to make cappuccinos all day long, something my customers regularly reminded me of. I wasted, those four years of my life were wasted because I wasted them. I wasted them. You see, for four years, being a barista at this very large coffee company was a paycheck for me. It was a temporary measure that I used to get myself through seminary so that I could go do my real work later. And what I missed, what I didn't understand, was what I had an opportunity to do at that job. And don't get me wrong, I made connections with all my coworkers. I got to share the gospel really often. I even was able to bring one guy with me to church for a while. But what I didn't understand, every single shift for four years, I had an opportunity to create something that didn't exist before. I had an opportunity to take raw materials and create the very best drinks I could create. To make a warm and welcoming environment for every single customer who came through the door. To love my, coworker, my coworkers in a way that nobody else would. I had an opportunity to grow in my effectiveness at doing these things. To become better and better and better at adding value to my company. But I didn't. Four years wasted. Is it any wonder why I hated that job so much? Now, is there anybody else in here who has ever experienced anything like that in their workplace? Or maybe is currently experiencing something like that? It's a great irony of this is that while this is all unfolding, I'm a seminary student. I'm learning how to be a faithful Christian and how to teach other people to be faithful Christians. And yet, my work life showed me that I had missed something unbelievably central to what it means to be faithful. And it is this, if you want to be faithful, you have to be fruitful. If you want to be faithful, you have to be fruitful. Now, fruitfulness is a really common word used all throughout Scripture. And when we hear it, we tend to think of fruits of our character. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, and so on. And that's certainly part of it, but is that all there is to it? When we're commanded to be fruitful, is it just to be good people? What we're going to see today as we dive into our passage, that when we are fruitful people, it actually means so much more than that. So if you have your Bible with you or a Bible app, go ahead and toggle over or flip over to Genesis 1 right in the beginning. We're going to look at six verses today that are going to help us unpack this theme of fruitfulness and what it has to do with being faithful people. These six verses tell the story of, of a day of creation 
Uh, now, previously, before these six verses, we've had five days of creation where God has created light and the sun and the moon and the stars and land and water and sky and all these animals. But today, the sixth day, is a totally different day. It's like the final movement of a symphony. It's the crown jewel. It's the manifesto of our creator, God. Because what he creates on the sixth day is something totally different than what he's created any other day. So let's dive in. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now, notice with me the repetition that takes place in these two verses. Anytime you see a word repeated in Scripture in a small chunk of territory, you've got to pay attention to it. Anytime you see a word used three times in Scripture, it's like a teacher saying, all right, class, this is going to be on the final exam. If you don't understand this, you will not pass the class. This is really important stuff. And in this passage, we see the word image repeated three times. The fact that human beings are created in the image of God is fundamental to our understanding of reality. So much so that anytime you hear conversations about the basic dignity of an individual human, basic freedoms, basic worth of an individual human, it all starts right here in Scripture. There's a Christian worldview. And the, the basic worth and dignity of every human being, because they bear God's image, is also foundational for how we understand what it means to be fruitful. So what is this image business? What does it mean that we're created in the image of God? If you're like me, when you hear the word image, you tend to think of something very shallow. Someone who's image conscious is very obsessed with everything that's going on right here and what the world thinks about that. Politicians are very image conscious people by trade. Everything they do, everything they say right down to their haircut and their outfit selection is a very calculated attempt to portray an image. But what's going on here in this passage is something much, much deeper than that. John Kilner is a, a professor of bioethics at the seminary I went to, and he does such a great job of explaining what it means for an, a human being to bear God's image. Listen to this. God creates humanity according to the likeness image of God. That concept involves humanity's special connection with God, which makes possible for humanity to become a meaningful reflection of God. Dr. Kilner helps us to see that there are two very important aspects to bearing God's image. One is this connection with God we were created to have, this intimate uh, relationship with God we were all created to live in. And when that is functioning, we then have the ability and the purpose to reflect God to the world. The easiest way to think about this is just to consider the moon. We all know that the moon has no light of its own that it projects. But when it is connected to the sun, in other words, when there's nothing in between it and the sun, it reflects the light of the sun onto the world. Now, we all know what the moon looks like when it reflects appropriately the sun, but what does a human being look like when they are fully reflecting God, when their connection with God is intact and working and they are reflecting him? Well, let's go on in our passage to see. Genesis 1, verse 28. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. This verse is a, 
a pretty famous one. You've probably heard it before. If anyone in here ever saw the movie Noah, which came out about a year ago, Russell Crowe and Emma Watson, that, first of all, I'm sorry. Um, and secondly, you heard this verse quoted several times throughout that movie because it's a, it's a pretty foundational verse for understanding what God did when he created human beings. And there are five commands in this verse, five verbs that are in the imperative mood that are commands for humans, but they're all kind of bound up in that first one, be fruitful. Be fruitful. That's where we get the big idea for today. Be fruitful. And historically, Christians have had a pretty narrow interpretation of what it means to be fruitful. And actually, historically, that narrow interpretation has probably perpetuated a lot of pain in the lives of Christians. In fact, I think it's probably likely that there are folks here this morning who have felt that pain or are feeling it currently. Because often when we hear the words be fruitful and multiply, we have taken it to mean make babies, procreate, fill the earth with children. And if that's true, if bearing God's image and reflecting it to the world is all about making babies, then what hope does the single person have? Or the infertile couple who would love nothing more than to have children but just can't? Or what about the person who feels called to a life of singleness? Something the Apostle Paul in the New Testament very clearly encourages. How can these people reflect the image of God if being fruitful is all about making babies? Do they have any hope? Well, if we understand this passage in its context, if we understand the full witness of Scripture, the resounding answer is yes. And I want to show you how. I said already that the word fruit is used very often throughout all of Scripture. And if we, anytime you encounter a word that might be a theme or difficult to understand, if you trace it through its occurrences in Scripture, it will help you know it more. So I want to offer to you three examples of when this word fruit is used. I'm going to go through them kind of quickly, but jot down the references. And uh, if you don't believe me, go home and look them up and read more about them. And the first one I want to go to, though, is Proverbs chapter 31. Proverbs 31, the second half of this chapter, is a poem that's all about the godly woman. And this poem praises the attributes of a woman who fears the Lord. And listen to how this poem is summed up in the last few verses. Proverbs 31, verse 30. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Now listen to this. Give her of the fruit of her womb, no, of her hands, And let her works praise her in the gates. This word fruit is the same exact word in the the original language we see in Genesis chapter 1. And notice that it has nothing to do with childbearing. In fact, in the 20 plus verses of this poem that describes the godly woman, childbearing is not mentioned one time. Now that that is not to say that childbearing is bad. It's just to say if we're going to understand what it means to be fruitful, it's got to be more than that. Let's go to another one in the New Testament. Paul is in jail, and he's likely awaiting the death penalty. And he's reflecting in this letter kind of the pros and cons of what it would mean to die versus live. And he says, if I die, the good thing is that I'll go to heaven and be with Jesus. But listen to what he says about the fruit of, or the, the goodness of what will happen if he lives. Philippians 1.22. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. And this isn't kind of the kind of labor that leads to childbearing, because Paul's a dude and he's single. This is not what he's talking about at all. Fruitful labor is the work that he can do in this world that will bear fruit. And that's the goodness of him being alive. 
One more. I could go on and on. There's a lot of these, but we'll go back to the Old Testament. Deuteronomy chapter 28. This one is just great for understanding this theme of fruitfulness. In Deuteronomy 28, Moses is speaking to God's people. They're about to enter the promised land, and he's kind of giving them a final overview of what they need to do when they go into the promised land. And listen to this. This is Moses speaking on behalf of God. And if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command to you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. And what does it mean to be set high above all the nations of the earth? It means this. Blessed shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground and the fruit of your cattle, the increase of your herds and the young of your flock. In Genesis 1, we have this command to be fruitful. And when we understand the full witness of Scripture, we see that to be fruitful is not just about procreativity, the fruit of the womb, but it's also about productivity, the fruit of our hands, the fruit of the land, the fruit of the cattle. So when we say if you want to be faithful, you need to be fruitful, the most far-reaching implication of that statement actually has everything to do with how we work. So if we miss that, if we misunderstand what, it, what the command is to be fruitful, we miss something that is at the core of what it means to be human. Because to be fruitful in our work means we reflect the image of God. This is why the sin of sloth is taken so seriously in Scripture and by God. It's not because there's some uh, objective set of actions that we need to fulfill to be good people somewhere, but it's because when we are able to work but unwilling to work, we are balking at our very created essence. We were created to reflect God by being fruitful. So what can this passage teach us about what it means to be fruitful in our workplace? I want to offer three things, three kind of lessons we can learn from this passage, and then I'll wrap this thing up. The first is that to be fruitful, you must be connected. To be fruitful, you must be connected. About a chapter and a half after the passage we just read, these two people God created, Adam and Eve, are going to sin. They're going to be seduced by the idea that they could be like God in their understanding of good and evil. And so they eat this fruit they were commanded not to eat. And their connection with God is broken. And God comes down and has a conversation with them and tells them exactly what it's going to be like now. Their new reality being broken, having a severed relationship with him. And here's part of it. Listen to what he says. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. Painful toil until you die. Anybody be able to, ex to explain their work experience as painful toil ever? Have you ever wondered why that is? Why is work painful toil? Is it because it's a necessary evil so that we can eat and live indoors or get to the weekend or be retired at some point? What scripture tells us is that work is something so much more than that. It's something that's fundamental to who we were created to be. But the reason that it is painful toil is because our connection to God is broken. And if we want to be fruitful people, 
If we want to uncover all that God created us to be, God has got to step in and do something about that broken connection. And he has done it. By looking on our helpless state and becoming a man who spent most of his life working in a carpentry shop in the middle of nowhere in Israel. And at the right time, this perfect man, Jesus, died the death we were supposed to die and rose again to an unending, eternal, abundant life that he offers all who will follow him. And if you will follow him, this new life that he offers is marked by a restored connection to God. And that is the first step to being fruitful people, that we must be connected to God. Second, if you want to be fruitful, you must be creative. If you want to be fruitful, you must be creative. Um, When God created all things and then gave his image to human beings to bear him, how do you think that we might reflect this God who created all things? By being creative. By creating In the same way that when the moon is fully uh, connected to the sun, it fully reflects the light into the world. That light we reflect when we're connected to God is that we are creative. Now, of course, the way that we create is different than the way God did. God created all things out of nothing, but what he has given us to work with is raw material. There's the editor of Christianity Today, he has this really helpful analogy of what it means for humans to create in the way God did. He says, God created wheat and we create bread. Wheat is good, and bread is very good. Here's another one. This one sings to me a little bit. God created grapes. We create wine. Grapes are good, but wine is very good. This is what it means for us to create in the way that God creates, to take the raw materials of his creation and to add value. So don't, don't underestimate your creativity. I can't count how many times I've had a conversation with someone who says, I'm just not a creative person because I can't um, create art like that over on the wall, which is phenomenal art. Or I can't stand up here on a Sunday morning and sing and hold a key. Well, good, then don't do those things. <laughs> Please. As a pastoral side, if you can sing, see Ryan after the service. But seriously, don't think that that is the only way you can be creative. To be creative in the way that God is means to take the raw materials he has given us and to make something, to to add value to the world by making something out of them. And I really believe that any vocation that any person in here is, is, is taking on right now involves being creative the way God has. And I believe it so much that I want to actually have some participation here. I'm going to ask three people in the crowd to, to speak up and to say what you do for a living. And I want to show how God, how you can be creative in the way that God is in your vocation. So go ahead. So, uh, who, what's a job? What's something that you do? Digital strategy. Digital strategy marketing, right? Okay, so PR, marketing, advertising is a great opportunity to take the raw material of a brand of a company and create, create an inroad for customers to come and to spend money at that company, which adds revenue, which adds jobs. To bolster the profitability of a company means that it has the opportunity to add value in the world by giving jobs to people. And what do we need more than jobs right now, right? What's another one? Accounting is a great opportunity to take the raw material of numbers and spreadsheets, something that is so far beyond me, and to create a plan for organizations and people and families to grow in their capacity to love their neighbors financially. What's another one? Social 
One more. Teacher. Teacher. Teacher is a phenomenal opportunity to take the raw material of a child and to, and to teach them to create in them a person who's not only knowledgeable of information, but will be the next generation of folks who will lead us, who will innovate and create and find new ways to reflect God's image through their creativity. But let me ask you this question. Do you have to get a paycheck in order for your creativity to mean something? Very often in our context, the answer is a resounding yes. Your, your work only matters if you get paid for it. But, the, but what we see in Scripture is actually precisely the opposite. The stay-at-home parent is a person who has the same opportunity as the teacher to mold and craft out of a young life, a character, and a love for God that is not only going to lead us, but reflects God's goodness. In this job that almost never comes with a paycheck is one of the most important things a person can engage in their life, raising a child. What about a retiree? But if you're, what about if you're not currently working? You have worked in your life, but now you've, you've finished and you're retired. You are a person who has the capacity in your schedule to create and contribute to your neighborhood, to your community, to your church in a way that others can't. Creativity is not about being compensated, but it's about contributing to the world, to the neighborhood, to the community that you live in. But however it is that you do it, creativity is how we reflect God to this world by taking the raw materials he's created and adding value. So if we want to be fruitful, we need to be connected. We need to be creative. And third, I'm sorry it doesn't start with a C. I tried really hard. We need to be productive. If you want to be fruitful, you need to be productive. If creation is the way, creativity is the way that we reflect God's image to the world, then productivity is the, is the means by which we are creative. Let me say that again. If, if creativity is the way that we reflect God's image to the world, then productivity is the means by which we are creative. Productivity is the way that we are consistently creative, that we can grow in our creativity, become better and better and better at what we do, more efficient at adding value to whatever it is that we do. But at this point, you might be asking yourself, what does all this have to do with neighborly love? Sounds like you're just telling me to get a to-do list app and put it on my phone and get better at doing tasks. Well, if that helps you, do that. But I want to show you how this affects everyone around you because it's good for us to be fruitful people. It's good for us to be connected, creative, and productive people. But none of us lives in a vacuum. Every single day, you and I engage a world of complex exchanges of goods and services. Put it one way, we engage an economy. And when a group of people comes together and is fruitful, or are fruitful in the way they engage the economy at a systemic level, we grow, here's our word from last week, the capacity to love our neighbor if we engage our vocation, if we engage whatever it is that we do with fruitfulness in mind, the desire to add value to what we're doing, we, we create capacity in a system to love our neighbors. And it's not just, it's not just this academic value, but it's real tangible. It's, it's something that's real. And that can manifest in a bunch of different ways, but for a minute I just want to dwell on how it manifests through uh, financial value. That's kind of what we're talking about in this series. Um, 
when I say that, I think that there are probably one of two responses going on in here right now. Um, when we think about material possessions, we kind of categorize it in these one of two areas. One could be we'll call the poverty gospel. The, the poverty gospel believes that material possessions are inherently bad, and that anybody who has material possessions, the more they have, the more greedy they are, the more evil they are. Um, usually that threshold is right above the level that I have. So that's the poverty gospel. <laughs> Over on the other side is this prosperity gospel. And the prosperity gospel believes that humans were created to accumulate material possessions for themselves. And anybody who doesn't have material possessions is just lazy and unwilling to work. Now to be fair, there's a shred of truth in both of those. There are some rich people in this world who are so because they're very greedy and hoard a lot of things. And there are some poor people in this world who are just unwilling to work. But I know that all of us in here are way too smart to think that that explains everything in, result, in a, regards to material possessions. You see, Scripture calls us to a third way between this poverty gospel and this prosperity gospel. Jesus and the authors of Scripture present material possessions as morally neutral tools that we can use to love our neighbors. And if that's the case, then we ought to be about growing the value of the things in this world because they can be used to lift people out of poverty. They can be used to give people opportunities that they wouldn't have before. I've heard it said that greed is actually not about what you have, but it's about what has you. Not about what you have, but what has you. And if that's the case, it would be terribly naive for us to say that people's greed is directly related to how much they have. Scripture does not call us to be consumed by accumulating things. It also doesn't call us to be consumed by judging those who have more than us. Scripture calls us to be consumed by using what we have at whatever amount we have it to love our neighbors and to care for those who are around us. And when a group of people comes together with this in mind, they create capacity, not, at, not just at an individual level, but at a systemic level to love their neighbors. And to illustrate this, uh, I came across this really great video um, recently. It tells a story of a guy who created who added value in a place where there was none, and how he used the value he created to love his neighbor. So let's watch this video together. Well, if you want to be faithful, you have to be fruitful. That's what we were created with, the design we were created with. That's the mandate we were given from the beginning of time. And when we are fruitful people, we create, both individually and at a systemic level, the capacity to love our neighbors now, I'm a practical guy, and I get that this message was a little bit more kind of heady and academic. There weren't as many handles to it, and I promise you that's coming in the series, but what we needed to do first was lay the foundation for the fact that we were designed to be productive workers and fruitful members of our economy and our society. So, this week, be thinking about wherever God has you, whatever he has you doing, how can you be fruitful right there? How can you reflect God to that situation, to your community, to your neighbors, by being fruitful people? And to help us start with that, let me pray. Our
Our Father in heaven, great and glorious is your name. May your kingdom and your will come to invade the economy of the city to the way that business is done in the city and the way each and every one of us engages our vocation. Give us this day our daily bread, Father, not so much that we forget you and not so little that we resent you. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation or into the sin of sloth, but deliver us from evil. In all things, God, yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.